0: hello guys welcome to this week's podcast my name is sarah i'm a BCBA and this is your eba help this week we are going to be talking about different types of graphs i have mixed feelings about it we're going to get a little graphic (laughs) um we are going to be talking about line graphs bar graphs scatter plots what to know about them what's important about them yeah it's not too exciting this week, but it is really important. It's the foundation for us to move into Taskless D. I keep kind of putting those breaks on Taskless D, because so I really want to make sure we are ready for Taskless D, that we have all the skills that we need, because it is hard. Taskless D is one. It's you know all about the different types of graphs and data. Taskless D is one that I see a lot of people asking for help on, like on the Facebook groups. I will have a lot of people reach out when I'm doing like tutoring. TASD D is a big one because it's so, um, it's, there's so much memorization with it. There is so much that you don't practice in your day-to-day because you know, like, what shaping is and chaining and, you know, the, all the applications, like, you know, different types of intervention, assessment tools, things like that, but TASD D and all the different types of graphs and data is something that we really don't use that much as a student in ABA, as you become a BCBA, there are definitely things that you should be using from that and different ways you should be approaching data collection. But it's not something you practice a lot, so test list D is difficult. So while we are finishing up Tesla C I have two more podcasts that I want to do before we move into test list D that will make moving into test list D much easier to understand. One of them is this week, so talk about all the different basic types of graph. What you need to know, the basics of data collection and the ins and outs of the different types of graphs, how to look at them and analyze them and really make data-based decisions is going to come next week. It's really a skill that you're going to need to practice making decisions looking at data, especially in this field as we move to more electronic data collection methods. Our ability to look at these graphs and make decisions is so important You know, and these big ABA companies want so much from us to be in so many places at once. Data is going to be your best friend. Having accurate data, making decisions off of that data is really important. This week, we're going to be talking about the basics of data. And then the week after that, we're going to be talking about how to analyze those graphs, those basic data collection, you know, displays, and then after that, we're going to move into task D and talk about all the different treatment designs, how that's displayed on data, how do you tell the difference from all of them. It's going to get really fun and exciting. <laughs> yeah, I know. So let's get into it. We are primarily going to go over line graphs, bar graphs, scatter plots, ratio charts, uh, standard acceleration. There's probably some other in there, but those are gonna be the primary ones that we're gonna cover. We're gonna talk about the ins and outs of those, what to look for, how does the difference, what they're used for, some examples, things like that. It's gonna be great. Let's go ahead and start into what a graph is, well, why do we care about them? Our classic question why do we care? So, a graph is a visual way to display the relationships between different variables and different data. It's an easy way to take a whole bunch of numbers. And put them in a way that people can absorb and understand easily. Cause imagine if we didn't have graphs, and I gave you a week's worth of data, and said, "Here you go. Here's how this kid is doing. Here's how this kid's flopping's going, or their um, imitation skill, gross motor imitation of clap. Here's how it's going. Here's the data. You would have to look at it and analyze those numbers and somehow come up with a conclusion without you know doing it visually. That would be really difficult. So. A graph is a great way to give us a visual representation of what is happening and allows us to make database decisions off what we are seeing. There are seven benefits that Cooper outlined specifically. I'm going to go through and list them. These aren't anything that you need to memorize. I would just be familiar in understanding why and the benefit of line graphs and also you know, the cons of using different graphs. I wouldn't worry about memorizing these. I would just worry about understanding the benefits of different graphs, the cons of each graph and you know, compare and contrast so you know the difference between all of them. I think it's important to just have that basic foundation. You don't have to go too far in depth and I'll talk about each graph and like what you need to know. So there are seven benefits that Cooper outlines. I'm gonna go ahead and read through for you guys. You don't have to memorize this, just make sure you're comfortable and familiar with these. The first one is immediate access to visual record of participants' progress, like we kind of talked about. So you have this quick way to look and you can see their progress over time rather than me giving you a data sheet a week later. You have this immediate way to look at the data and progress. You have continual contact allows research to explore interesting variations. So you can look at those relationships between the variables in your data, put in phase change lines and see how different things are impacting treatments. Help everyone interpret the results of a study or a treatment. So you don't have to, you know, have your PhD in order to look at a graph and see whether something is going well or not. Obviously to make treatment decisions, we want to have some experiences, but the average person can look at a graph and understand what's happening. Conservative method for determining significant behavior change. So it's an easy way to analyze. It's a simple way to analyze data for behavior change and make decisions based off of that. It enables independent judgment on the data. So I can look at it and make my own interpretation. You can look at it and make your own interpretation. It allows multiple people to have that, again, quick way to look and make their own judgments. And I can make my judgment separate from yours. It's not a, um, you know, like in a study how it has like the results section. It tells you their results, like the researcher's results from their study. A graph, you can make your own interpretations. It can provide feedback to those who are interested with the visual analysis. So whether it's you providing feedback on your own treatment or you can show the participant they have feedback on their own behavior based off the new data. It facilitates communication, dissemination, and comprehension of behavior change. So again, easy, understandable. You can show it to multiple people. People can make their own interpretations. It's an easy communication method of data and behavior that's why aba loves it and then also i want to make a quick note before we get into talking about line graphs i'm going to say things like up and down line for the y-axis or you know left and right or flat i'm going to say i'm going to reference the axes in that way and this isn't to insult your intelligence or to like you know quote unquote dumb it down for you i'm not trying to do that for me i know if somebody says all right can you put that on the y-axis or the ordinate axis I would struggle it would take me a minute to be like okay it's I have to like visualize it and remember okay which axis is which even like if you say vertical or horizontal it takes me a second and I want to make sure you guys have an easy way to follow this podcast and you're not getting lost in trying to apply the terms to the graph and then come back to me so I'm just gonna put it in simple terms and that will help us out I'll put the actual term there and I'll follow it up with how you need to think of it? So that way, when you're doing your exam, you have a quick, easy way and you're not getting stuck in your head. I'm trying to remember which is where and what is what. I just wanna make that little note. It's a me thing, not a you thing. Also in this podcast, we have so many AKAs because you know, line graphs and bar graphs are something that a lot of different fields use. It's not just exclusive to ABA, you guys know that. So there's so many AKAs and I'm going to list them all off for you. I would definitely make sure you learn what these AKs are because then that way you're not, you know, you see a new term on a mock or on the exam, you're not like, oh my god, I've never heard of a frequency polygon. What the heck is that? You're going to know because you're going to learn these AKs. So just a heads up on that. There's a lot of them. Okay. Our first one is line graph, a.k.a. a frequency polygon, or another a.k.a. is linear, arithmic or an add or subtract chart. So you've got lots there. So a line graph could be referenced as a frequency polygon, a linear chart or graph, a rhythmic chart, or an add subtract chart. Got it, cool. So a line graph is the most common graph in ABA. I'm sure you guys are very familiar with it. I'm sure you guys you know use, use it and learned how to make them in your master's program, they're very common. You see them all the time. In ABA, each point in the graph shows a quantified form of behavior. So remember, a little trick for remembering qualified or quantified and So a little trick to remembering quantif quantitative qualitative. Qualitative data. Qualitative. So a little trick to remembering qualitative data versus quantitative data is qual is an L, and remember L is for language, which is like that narrative talking. If you're writing, writing out qualitative data, it is that like narration, you're writing down what parents say about that behavior. Whereas quantitative data is going to be numbers. It's going to be taking something like a behavior and turning it into numbers and data because I remember that because there's an an N in numbers for quantitative, so that might help you remember it. But a line graph is taking data that we are observing and turning it into quantitative data numbers and putting it on a graph in ABA. For all of our graphs, especially a line graph, we've got our dependent and independent variables. We're going to start with our dependent variable. Our dependent variable is going to be that vertical axis, which is the up and down one, which is the y-axis and another AKA is the ordinate axis. So it's gonna be the up and down one, vertical, that's where the dependent variable is gonna go. Typically this is gonna be your measure. So this can be your behavior that you're measuring. It's gonna be on that left-hand side when you're looking at a graph on a piece of paper. It's gonna have a range of values for you. It's typically gonna be you know, like let's say for behaviors, it could be from zero to 10, it could be from zero to 100, it could be, you know, 0.5, 1, 1.52, it all depends on your data and what you need. But it's gonna be a range of values it's gonna be that dependent variable that's being impacted by treatment. So whether that behavior is going up or down, increasing, decreasing, stagnant or stable, all depends on that treatment factor. And then we have, um, The other part of our graph, which is the independent variable, that one's going to be that flat one, the horizontal line, or the x-axis. The independent variable is independent of the treatment. It's just our time measure. So over time, how is this dependent variable being impacted by the treatment? That's what you're going to have on the independent flat line. It's typically going to be like days, sessions, could be weeks, it could be months, years, it could be whatever your data is measuring over time and what you need in order to break it up and show that. Uh, ABA, I would say is most common by session or by day. So you have your day of data collection, you have a dependent variable that is on that y-axis and the dependent variable is on that horizontal axis. Some AKs you're gonna wanna know for independent variable are x-axis, the horizontal axis, That is also the abiscus, the the abiscus, ab, abscissa. It's A-B-S-C-I-S-S-A, abisca. I always say it in my head, abiscus, which I know is not right, because there's no, there's no stuff with nothing in that word to support it, but that's how I always read it in my head when I was studying. So I'm probably gonna be saying that again, and I'm sorry. But however you say it, it's all the same. We have the horizontal axis, the abyss, abyss, abis, abyss, abyssa, <laughs> the x axis, and this is where you're going to kind of get your trend, your variability, and data, your levels. You're going to analyze it all based on these axes it's important to know that most of the graphs that we're gonna be looking at are going to be equal interval graphs. What this means is we have our origin, which is where the two graphs meet. So you know how you have zero for your dependent, that up and down one, and then we have zero for our independent and they kind of meet and they intersect. That's gonna be your uh, origin. And then from there, from that origin where they meet, you're gonna have those equal intervals that break up over time. So the intervals and the way they break up don't have to break up the same because there are two different types of measures for the independent de- var- dependent variable. So if you're going up by one, you don't have to go by one at the bottom because it's not gonna make sense because you're having two different sets of like measurements. However, on that dependent variable, if you're going up by one, two, three, four, you need to continue doing that the whole way in order for it to be an equal interval graph. There is a way that you can break it if you need to jump to a higher number, but it still has to continue the equal intervals and the same thing for the bottom. So if I were doing by sessions, I would do session one, session two, session three. If I started going session one, session two, three, five, eight, without any sort of indicating on why or when those are breaking up, that wouldn't be an equal interval graph and would be a very misleading graph at that. But most graphs that you're going to see, especially on your like, data collection softwares, are going to be equal interval graphs. We're going to talk about a ratio graph next. But your typical graph, equal interval. And then also I wanted to squeeze this in here. Another way to kind of remember which line is which because, you know, I just throw a whole bunch of words at you, a whole bunch of AKs at you. So we have our dependent, which is the up and down, which is the y-axis. So a silly way that I remember the y-axis is like, you know, if you are asked a question of like why why is the sky blue and you're like I don't know and you're like shrugging you you like bring your arms upward and you say I don't know why and that's how I remember it because you like bring your arms upward and the dependent variable is up and down that y-axis is up and down and your arms go up and down you say why and that's how I remember (laughs) guys at this point if you've been listening to the podcast you know not to judge me we all do what we do to get by And then, obviously, that leaves the x-axis, the independent variable, the horizontal, the flat one, left and right one. Got to memorize those. Really important that you remember remember those. Remember which one is independent of the treatment and which one is dependent on the manipulating of the variables. Got to remember those basics. We'll talk a little bit more about what you really need to know about a line graph and all the intricates of, like, data labeling and, you know, all that stuff. We'll talk about that in a minute. And Cooper has talked a lot about um, what's really important for a line graph what we need to have on it I'm gonna go through and kind of list and talk about these you're gonna know all of these you guys are very familiar with line graphs my best tip for this like, section and understand the basics of graphing is to look at a lot of line graphs and see what is typically on them know what's important to have included Get very familiar with how they're supposed to look. So when you start seeing a you know line graph of whether it's on the exam or out in the field in practice that is missing some pieces, you're gonna see it, you're gonna know it. You don't necessarily need to recall the label and tell me what the 10 top most important things are for a line graph, but you can see something's off and then you can use your behavioral analytical brain and figure out what's missing and how it's impacting your visual analysis. But in Cooper, what they highlight as the really important things that you need to have on a line graph are axis labels. So on the Y and the X axis, I need to tell you what the data is. So if I'm just going one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five on the left and then the bottom, but you have no idea what those numbers represent, that graph is essentially useless to us because we can't make any decisions off of it. So labels, whether that's, you know, flopping on the dependent Y axis, and then on the bottom it says sessions. Those labels like that and then we have our condition change lines so this one can be a little tricky our condition change lines you have our solid lines and we have our dotted lines according to cooper and these it varies so much guys everybody like there's not like hard fast rules on what you can and can't use these lines for the rule of thumb though according to cooper here the solid lines are going to be what you are going to use day in and day out if you just want to indicate one sort of data communication. So if you know you're going to have like breaks in data or major, you know, changes in treatment, you're going to be trying different options and you just want to report it in one line, you're going to use a solid condition phase line. If you know you're going to be reporting major changes in data and minor changes. So example of major would be like a whole new medication regimen, like the the doctor prescribed four new medications to try it all at once, like a whole treatment package. You're going to put in a solid line, whereas just like the medication that the child's been on for four years gets a five milligram upage and, you know, mom's not too concerned about it. That might be something you just put a dotted line on or a short three-day vacation that you know is going to impact that child slightly, but not major disruption in therapy. That's going to be like a dotted line. So, if you plan on indicating those two different measures, you're going to use a dotted and a solid to indicate minor versus major. But if you know you're just going to be reporting those major breaks in, you know, data and therapy or you know, treatment like changes, solid line is going to be your BFF, and the solid line is called the condition. Phase change line. These are the vertical lines that go up and down. They're solid across your graph. What's important to know about these is when you put them on there, you need to have a label. Like, what is this line doing there? Whether it's after the change line or it's above the change line, it's all fine. You just need to have a label on it. And your data before that change line needs to not connect to the data after that phase change line because you're indicating that the treatment is changing and we need to analyze the before and after. And if you guys look at pictures of line graphs with phase change lines, you're gonna see this, no biggie. It's just something to remember. But as a BCBA in practice, I highly, highly recommend putting you know, the minor changes on your graphs, those dotted lines. Highly recommend including those events that happen, especially, you know, insurance runs in six months increments. So we do an insurance report every six months you're looking back on three month old, six month old data and you're trying to remember why is there this big break? Why is there this big spike? What happened? I remember something happened I can't remember. Having those down the lines can help you be much more effective and through and analytical BCBA because you can really say, this is why the treatment had, you know, great impact or didn't or we saw a huge increase in behavior it is because this vacation happened, you know, dad's back in the picture or you know, mom unfortunately got another job and that's really affecting the child. things like that can really help you have explanations on your treatments. So I really recommend those. I think they're incredibly helpful, especially when you have large caseloads and you're managing lots of kids and there's a lot of variables going on. We get so much information every day. So it can be really important. And it also be things internal too, like your clinic gets a new staff or the child's favorite therapist quits or goes on vacation for a week. Things like that too can be really helpful. Then obviously for a line graph, you're gonna need data points. So you're gonna have each little point of your data representation. You're gonna have your line passed. So you're gonna connect those dots until you either stop collecting the data on that graph or there's a condition change line. So you're gonna connect all those dots and that's gonna help us interpret that data. We'll talk about that next podcast. You can have multiple data paths and that's where we get into different treatment designs that we're gonna talk about uh, in two podcasts where we get into task list D when you're having multiple data paths, different treatment approaches. Uh, there's a lot of different ways you can put your data on a line graph. Just understand the basics of it and understand it and look at them. We'll talk way more about it in task list D about what you can and can't have and when you can and can't have based on what this and that is. That's why it's so complicated, guys. There's so much. Another form of line graphs I was kind of hinting at earlier is ratio graphs. So these are going to look the exact same as line graphs. All the same rules apply except for one thing. So your x-axis that's on the bottom, the left and right one, horizontal one, that one is going to be equal intervals, your time. So one day, two days, three days, four days, whatever your measurement is. That's gonna be the same on the bottom. And then your y-axis is what's gonna make it a ratio chart if you chose to go this way. So think back to math class. A ratio chart is gonna be where you are increasing. I even know the math words for it. But basically you go proportionally, you increase your measurement. So let's say uh, we were measuring flopping and we wanted to do a ratio chart. This would be where we have our first line would be two. And then our second line would be four. And then our third line on our you know, y-axis is eight, 16, 32. See how it's like increasing, it's not increasing by equal intervals. So two, four, six, eight, it's going in a proportional way of two, four, 8, 16, 32. So that makes it a ratio chart. If you see that, that's what that is. something i personally have ever used it could be useful for reporting very large um, data so like if you had a kid who had a range from zero words spoken in one day to a thousand words maybe something like that might be more helpful to represent your data something to consider it gets a lot more information on a line graph than an equal interval graph would it's very important to know that these exist when you're analyzing data because you can have a very different interpretation on a ratio graph versus that were put on an equal interval line graph. So keep that in mind. And then another type of graph that's gonna look very similar to a line graph is called a scatter plot. How you're gonna identify this one, so this one is gonna have those equal intervals again on the y and x axis. It's gonna look like the traditional line graph. Except a scatter plot, the dots are not going to be connected. On a scatter plot you're using the temporal relations of the behavior. so that time measure you're using that to kind of analyze your data. So let's say, like an example I've used a scatterplot in the past is for potty accidents. So I had my staff graph or, you know, take data on and I had graphed it on a scatter scatterplot of every time a kid had an accident. So he was doing really well with potty training and then suddenly something switched and he started having accidents. Instead of taking him on an hour schedule that he hated or, you know, every 30 minutes and he just despised it, I decided let's go ahead and be more intentional about our potty breaks. Let's do a scatter plot. Let's see when these accidents are occurring over the week. So I had them put based on the time and the data. And we discovered on the scatter plot data that every day around 11 o'clock he would have an accident. And then every day around 2 o'clock he would have an accident. We we're able to take them before those accidents and decrease those accidents by giving him more opportunity to urinate when his bladder was full. This is only information that we'd be able to get on scatterplot data because it has a temporal relation of behavior. Definitely check out pictures of them, look at them, how they um, lay out. I think it's very interesting. They're very useful tools when you have those opportunities and you need to know when these behaviors are happening at certain times. Another good example is if you have a certain kid that just has big bursts of behaviors, you might be able to figure out What's going on? Good example is like, you know, kid that will, that will start flopping and whining and crying at just like seemingly random parts of the day. You might find that there's a pattern because their medication's wearing off or their therapist just switch or they're really hungry. It's right before lunchtime. Every day at 11 o'clock, they just have this big meltdown. Scatterpot will tell you that information. You'll, you'll see those kind of like focus groups of data and you'll be like, that's interesting. All right, up next, we have a bar graph aka histogram bar graphs are the simplest and most adaptive form of visual analysis in ABA and in general it's a great way to summarize lots of data lots of information you can put multiple different sets of data multiple variables on a bar graph really great for that. They're used to summarize performance under different conditions. I use them and a lot of other BCAAs use them to visually represent our FBA data. So if you guys have ever done FAST or um, QABF, the questions about behavior functions, you can put those on a bar graph to represent the different behaviors and the functions and like where those behaviors are spending the most time in the different functions. I don't know the way to say it guys, but gives you a visual way to see that, okay, for this behavior, there's a lot of attention seeking based on this bar graph versus only like half of that behavior is escape. And you can look at that on a bar graph and visually analyze that. Again, look it up if you're curious. There's lots of great resources. Bar graphs can be helpful under, again, very specific circumstances. Cumulative record, what it is, is it is a cumulative, a total overview of a behavior so cumulative record, you are adding up the behavior over time. Again, this is, it has to be a very intentional choice that you make to use the cumulative record tool. It's where, like, let's say a kid is learning sight words, and you want to see how many sight words over time that they're learning, and you want to be able to show them and tell families, like, look, they've learned 100 sight words, they've learned 200, 300. Cumulative record can be really good for that. I used it for, like, on the VB map on level, like, I think, 2 in order to get a level 2 for tacting. You need to know like 250 tacks or maybe it's 500 tacks. I don't remember. But it's good to show that total vocabulary so you can see over time that they've learned 200 tacks. You can, you know, target each tack individually and add it to this cumulative record and show over time their rate of learning and their response rate or um, overall response rate is the actual term for it to show how quickly they're learning, you know, the tacting skill. Because you think about... um, analyze cumulative record the faster our data our record is going up our line so a cumulative record is shown in lines or you could do it in like a bar graph but then you would like put a line to kind of track that bar graph going up the steeper that line is the faster that line increases is the more that child is learning at a quicker rate and what this is showing like let's say we're teaching them sight words and they are just so smart they learn fight five sight words every single day. They just, they master it. Five every day, they're golden. That would be, day one would be five. Day two would be 10, because he had five yesterday and five new ones today, so that makes 10. Day three, he's learned five more, so that makes 15. Day four, he's learned five more, that makes 20. So it's gonna be building up. So let's say he's such a smart cookie, he's actually really picking up on this skill, so he's learning even faster. So now he's learning six, seven, eight a day. So on like day six, that would be 27 that he's learned. And then the next day he learned eight more. You can see how that's going to increase over time. You just keep adding it. Cumulative record is really good at showing that treatment is effective and they're learning the skill over time. Cumulative record, another important thing to know is that it will never, ever, ever decrease. You will not lose any data on a cumulative record. Instead, if the child's not learning any more sight words, like let's say they've plateaued because they have some sort of barrier learning, the cumulative record is just going to be flat. It's going to be steady. There's not going to be an increase. There will not be a decrease. It will just stay at, let's say on day four, he's at 20 and then, you know, something significant happened and he's just not, not doing sight words anymore. He hates the program. It's just going to stay at 20 until he learns a new one and it might go up to 21 or if he picks up his old rate of learning then maybe you'll see that. When you're analyzing that cumulative record, like I said, you can have the overall response rate. You're looking at the entire like history of learning. You can see how quickly they're learning skill or not. And then if you wanted to analyze like a week, you'd notice that there's just like huge spike. Like they learned so many words on this day and you're like zooming in on a few days. That's called a local response rate. So you have your overall response rate and your local response rate. Cumul records can also be really good for feedback. So if you have somebody that needs to be training for a marathon and you can do a cumulative record of how many miles they ran. That can be a motivational tool. It can also be used to show like, hey, you're not running as much as you need to be or you used to be. Could be useful for that in very specific circumstances. You're going to be using a cumulative record. Up next we've got a semi-logarithmic chart, which is also can be a ratio chart and a standard celebration chart. So those are kind of AKAs. Ratio chart is its its own thing, and then standard acceleration is kind of like a branch of it, but in literature, sometimes they're used interchangeably. I would know that ratio charts are something that has a y-axis that is different from the x-axis and is proportionally scaled. Standard acceleration is its own beast. It uses a component of ratio charting. For the way it graphs data so standard acceleration chart it analyzes how frequency of behavior changes over time the standard acceleration chart came from precision teaching so precision teaching is a whole passionate cult within aba they it's like its own field almost there's a lot of benefits and research behind precision teaching the bcbas that really use and implement it are very passionate about it so i definitely recommend looking into it, if you are curious about another way to approach teaching and analyzing data. Um, yeah, I've been to a few conferences where they talk about precision teaching and the like speakers end up like jumping around in joy. It's absolutely crazy. They're very excited about their their um, data collection, which I get excited about things too, so I don't blame them. So for precision teaching, They believe that the best approach to learning is best measured by response rate, learning occurs through proportional change, and that past performance can project future learning. These are all kind of like the standard ideas behind standard acceleration charting that's used in precision teaching. With standard acceleration charting for the exam, you don't need to learn how to do it, it's very complex and there's a lot that you have to learn with it. It's not something you just like look at and graph like a line graph. For the exam, I would just focus on understanding the basics on reading it. Understanding like what is a behavior increasing and decreasing on a standard acceleration chart. Looking at it, make sure you understand when you see it, this is a standard acceleration chart. Make sure I can identify like the x-axis and the y-axis on it. Just the basic. Make sure you read the basics of it. That's what I would focus on. You can also, I found it helpful when I was studying to watch just like a YouTube overview. Just like a 10-15 minute overview video on what a standard celebration chart is. Just to get the idea. Just so it's not a foreign concept. Something you're fairly familiar with. I think you'll be good to go there. That's kind of the overview of the graphs that use. I want to talk about a few things real quick, and then we're going to wrap up this podcast. In your master's program, I'm sure you learned how to make the most, sick, coolest, perfect graph on Excel, or maybe they had some type of software that you used. This kind of like one of those skills that is like a performance trick, I find. It's like an old skill. It was extremely helpful before we had all these data collection companies like Central Reach and Rethink and Catalyst and Motivity. I find that it's one that we spend way too much time on um like in cooper it's an entire chapter like graphs and data and how to analyze it and it's really helpful like i really think we need to spend way more time on analyzing data and making decisions um and how to like adjust treatment based on data like okay i have this data and it's telling me this but what do i do with it i feel like it's such a big gap in our field and it's like the essential it's like the essential of being a BCBA that nobody really talks about and teaches you. It's, okay, this kid's not learning imitation and the data's all over the place and I don't even know where to start. What do you do? Nobody really talks about that. But instead, your master's program is teaching you how to make this really cool line graph and making sure you make it perfect and it's gorgeous and all your like dots and everything's connected and it's black and there's like a format with it all and like there's like lines there needs to be lines we're we're spending weeks on this and I think that's crazy um so my plan is to spend you know this podcast talking about the graphs and then next week we're going to really talk about how to analyze the data what to do with that data um and I would love to you know create more material on what to do and like how to be a BCBA based off these like graphs and data but we won't spend too much time on it next week But just so you're prepared, that's kind of my reasoning on that. Um, I know, like, when I became a BCBA, I, I was just like, okay, now what? Like, okay, I have all this knowledge, all this information. How do I, like, functionally apply this to this data? So if you're feeling lost, or if you do feel lost in the future, it's okay. It's not you. Perfect. So that is everything. That was a quick little overview, but make sure you learn everything we talked about this podcast I really kept it simple because you know line graphs and bar graphs they're going to get much much more complex so I want you guys to have a solid foundation understand how to find that dependent variable understand what an independent variable is I didn't go into it too much in this podcast because I know we've all spent so much time on it in grad school and in practice so just Use what you know, apply it, practice some mock exams information, make sure you memorize which axis is what, data labels, phase change lines, all that stuff, different types of graphs, all those AKAs, then you got it. Cool, guys. Have a great week. I am so excited to work through task lists. We got one more task list C video and then task list D And then we're going to get to the good stuff. (laughs) We are going to get through this together, guys. Okay. Bye. Have a good week, guys.